You know, we live different lives and live different experiences, but it's amazing when we get to live common truths across all people, all geographics, all demographics, and that is one, that Jesus came for all of us. This morning, before we jump into our scripture, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and 2 this morning again, we do need to recognize some true heroes that are here this morning. And the true heroes that are here this morning are the parents whose children got them up super early. So, we want to recognize you, and we're just going to do it by standing, and then the last one standing will receive a prize. So, if you were up this morning, if your kids got you up at 7 o'clock this morning, please stand up. Everybody that was up, or your parents woke you up by 7 a.m. this morning, your kids got you up, several of you, okay? All right, let's back it up. Remain standing if you were up at 6.30. 6.30, okay. You were up, okay, let's keep backing it up. 6 a.m., anybody up at 6 a.m.? If, 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 if this is eliminating you, you sit down, okay. Oh, man, six, there's still this many standing. Okay, let's go to 5.30, 5.30, anybody up at 5.30? Okay. All right. We got anybody back there? Uh, 5 a.m. Any 5 a.m.ers out there? Okay. Melissa Colwell. All right. uh, there's uh, $20 at the coffee shop for you. That's what you need. <laughs> uh, I like how Cody sat down and she kept standing up. That's right. Only one of you was up, right? Who got you up? Was it all three of them? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that is so good. Well, we, again, we are glad that you're here. Uh, this is a family moment. And as a family, we're going to get to seek Jesus, serve him, worship him as we've done, and then move into communion this morning. But I want to say this morning that I just love a good family Christmas tradition. Now, I didn't grow up where we had many family Christmas traditions. I have an aunt and uncle here that would probably say, I can't believe you just said that you love Christmas traditions. But I love them. I love a good one. I love coming together. I love an advent calendar. I love a certain meal. I love a nightly devotional. And I don't know if you have any of those kinds of Christmas traditions. You probably have already taken part in some this morning or last night, but we all have a good Christmas time tradition. I heard one recently that I just thought was great and I want to implement into my family. It was sneaking around the house to remove things that most people wouldn't notice were removed, then wrapping those things and putting them under the tree and gifting them to whoever's room they came from. I thought that was brilliant. You know, so I'm going to try to do that. But whatever your traditions are, maybe it's that you go to a certain house or you eat a certain meal or you do a certain thing. These types of things are wonderful. Most of us have Christmas traditions that we love and that we'll take part of. And even those of us that are in here this morning that say, well, my family doesn't do Christmas traditions. I got news for you. That's your tradition. Being the Bah Humbug family. That's okay. I grew up that way. But I want to ask you about a tradition after Christmas. Do you have any day 
after Christmas traditions. Maybe it's going shopping. Maybe it's to return all the gifts you really didn't want. Maybe it's just you sit around and watch movies with your family or just try to relax. I, for one, I'm going to admit this morning, my day after Christmas tradition is to start getting antsy about all the Christmas decorations. I have this longing, this feeling inside of me. I don't know if anybody's with me. That Maybe it's a sense of I just want things back to normalcy, but I start getting this feeling, and I'll get it tomorrow morning, like when is all this stuff going to be put away? Maybe it's my desire to clean. Maybe it's my desire to not vacuum up another little piece of those stinking greenery things that fall off the tree, whatever it is. But I think really what it comes down to is I want to seek normalcy. If you're with me, you know what that feeling is. You like order, you like routine, you like normalcy. And as we get into the Christmas story this morning, just very briefly, you're going to see a Christmas story that has everything to do with abnormalcy. It starts like this, Luke 2 verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. When we're talking about things that are normal, it was normal for kings and rulers and especially empires and emperors like Caesar to issue a census. But it was anything but normal for the people who had to take part in the census. It was chaos. It was dangerous to go back to your land of your forefathers presented you with walking travel, difficulty. It wasn't like us. Imagine today as if the U.S. government put out a census and they said, well, we're, we're canceling the census.gov website and you need to travel to the home of your birthplace or the home of your birthplace of your ancestors. You need to go back to where you came from originally when your family got to America. And by the way, you need to walk. That's the issue. That's the idea. That's the chaos as Joseph and Mary are going to get put into this story that the first Christmas story is a story of chaos, of upheaval, of danger. But it's here. In this Christmas story that is anything but normal where God prepares a moment for a king to be ushered into the world. A newborn baby was going to arrive at this first chaotic Christmas in secret, but he's going to arrive not as a religious guru. And he's going to arrive not even as just a savior. This king is going to arrive as the king. And I want to kind of push on that just a little bit this morning with this question. I wonder often, and this is for me, has this been lost on us? That the birth announcement comes with the announcement that there is a king on the scene. Because often what I can do with Jesus is instead of making him a king, I can make him a 911 call when I'm in trouble or my life, my spiritual life, or my world is upside down. Or I can make him a spare tire when my life has gone flat 
and I only get him out when I need that. Or maybe I make him into a backup plan when I've exhausted all other options on my own. Or maybe a backup pitcher when I've exhausted all my energy and my effort. Has the announcement of Jesus' original title been lost on us? I think honestly, if I was answering that question in a moment of prayer and a moment of journaling with the Lord, I would have to say, yes, it's been lost on me. But I want us to know this morning that as this title that Jesus gets gets lost on us, as we look at the original story, Jesus' kingship is everywhere. Let's pick it up here in Luke 1 and notice the italics that I've added in the yellow letters. In Luke 1, 30 through 33, as angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary, he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you do call him Jesus. That is a title of salvation, Yahshua, the name, a common name, Yahshua, but it's also a name that means will save his people. The angel goes on to say, he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. That is a title of exaltation. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then he finishes this line with his kingdom will never end. So this first Christian story is Mary receiving the news that she was not giving birth to just a mere teacher or philosopher. She was going to give birth to a capital K king. And what's incredible about the announcement that I can sometimes gloss over and speed past as I read Luke 1 is that the announcement says he's going to be a king, but it also says he will always be the king. So the daily question for all of us is this. Not just on Christmas morning, but for all of us, those of us who are aware of his kingship, and I believe even sometimes for those who are not, those of us who are walking through life seeking all kinds of different things, and those of us who are doing our best to seek Jesus, the question for all of us, just as we shared in the truth that Jesus was born for us, the question we have to wrestle with, is Jesus still my king? Or is he just my conscience reliever, a placeholder on social media, a cross around my neck, or a religious symbol on a shirt that I bought? But I want to go back to Luke's account and see this one more place. This is when Joseph and Mary are traveling. They're getting to Bethlehem. And of course, this is what happens in verse 4 through 7. You guys know this story, and our kids already told it so well this morning. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, despite what is commonly portrayed or maybe what we commonly think of when we imagine the housing situation for this young family, 
who have traveled to Bethlehem, and it seems like she has gone into labor during the travel. This is not an issue of hotel vacancy. It's not that Tom Bodette just wasn't in Bethlehem and he forgot to leave the light on at the Motel 6. This isn't a Holiday Inn issue. There's two words in the Greek for a guest room or an inn or a hotel. And the NIV, which we just read, gets it perfectly right. What is said here in Luke in the Greek is there was no guest room. So this isn't Mary and Joseph trying to look for vacancy in a, in a hotel or a chain. This is Joseph and Mary probably most likely going to their family of their lineage in Bethlehem and saying, do you have an upper room? Do you have a back room? Do you have part of your insula that we can stay in? And the family saying, not no vacancy, but saying no hospitality. There is no room. So what you have here in the story is a family not offering what was normal, but because of the chaotic situation and the strangeness of Mary's story, them pushing them to a cave instead of a guest room. I've never thought about this, and I'm being serious. This may sound goofy, but I'm being serious. When I, th- I wanted to think about what's it like to be that guy or that woman or that couple or that family whose house turned them away and said, well, you can stay in the cave. Not after Jesus was born, the day or two days after. What was it like 33 years after that when family reunions were happening and you saw those people at Passover again and you came back in to the Jewish temple and you saw him and you, and you looked at that guy and you said, oh yeah, you remember that time when you pushed out the guy that's now the resurrected son of God? I mean, what a red-faced moment. I mean, there's some humor to that, but there's also some embarrassment. But I tell you that because of this. When we miss out on who Jesus is as king, like the family did, we not only miss him, we also opt out on the life he has for us. So to miss out on this story that we're celebrating today and not center our our lives around the Jesus story causes us to not only miss, but to opt out on an incredible life we can live in service to the king. On Christmas Day, a king was born. And every day since, a king has reigned. And we don't just see his kingship and his rule on days like today. This is easy to see it. And praise God, we get easy days to see lights light up a room and we get to encourage each other. But there is evidence of the reign of Christ everywhere, every day. And I want to give you two examples that I've seen that in lately. First comes from a guy named Tom Holland. Not that Tom Holland, though. A slightly less famous Tom Holland who didn't play Spider-Man, but who wrote a famous book in 2021 called Dominion. Tom Holland is not a follower of Jesus, but he is a renowned historian, 
very brilliant man who looks mostly at the Western world and tries to write from a historical, sociological point of view to say, what is the cultural move in our world to make the world how it is today? And Tom Holland, who is British, just like Spider-Man Tom Holland. Isn't he British, kids? I think he is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Is he handsome too? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. This Tom Holland, which he's, he's older. He's probably not as handsome to our young, young people, young ladies. When he writes Dominion, what he's saying in this is this. In this book, he makes the case that the reason that any of us feel empathy or the reason that any of us feel compassion or the reason that anybody in the Western world stands up for human rights, the reason that there are human rights protests in places like Iran right now and China right now and all over the world in places we don't know about is because, not because things have always been this way, but he makes the case that because of Jesus Christ, the world has changed. And in this book, 600 pages, he gives evidence after evidence after evidence that there is a king that has changed everything. He recently was quoted about the Ukrainian uh, refugee crisis when the war started there last March. And as it started there, how Poland opened up all their borders and Croatia opened up all their borders and they just let people flood in. And Tom Holland was asked why, and he said, because those people believe in Jesus Christ. He has changed everything. I think we could say from a macro viewpoint that we still have a reigning king. It was at Buffalo Creek Academy Middle School just a couple weeks ago in Buffalo, New York. This middle school, something amazing happened where you could see evidence of Jesus as well on a more micro level. Of course, in most middle schools, and especially this one, the most important fashion accessory in this middle school is your kicks, what you wear, what's on your feet. And it's said among those middle schoolers at Buffalo Creek Middle School that the more expensive and the more clean your shoes, the higher your status among your peers. One middle schooler said, everybody in this school looks at your shoes before they look at your face. Now, in a situation like that, you can imagine how that goes in a middle school. If your status is determined by the nicety or niceness of your shoes, then if you don't have those kind of shoes, you're open to ridicule, which is, was exactly the story of a young seventh grade, tall, lanky kid named Melvin Anderson. It was right after Thanksgiving and Melvin had endured a whole semester of ridicule because his shoes looked the same every day. Worn out, holes in them, barely holding together, ugly, dirty. But one day, Melvin Anderson showed up to class in his favorite class, Mr. Brown's class, and he was carrying one of those bright orange boxes with a swoosh on the side. And Mr. Brown asked him, looks like you got a new pair of shoes, Melvin. And Melvin, with a big old smile, said, yes, I did. And he pointed down and he had on brand new black and white Nike high tops. So Mr. Brown asked him, who gave you those shoes? 
And Mr. Brown was taken aback by the answer because Mr. Brown heard from Melvin's mouth. He said, well, that sixth grade kid, Mello, bought me those shoes. Here they are, standing together. Short little Mello. Right after Thanksgiving, he had kind of heard Melvin getting made fun of over and over again. And he told his mom, he said, mom, you don't buy me any Christmas gifts. And if you have already, you take them back. Because what we're going to do this year is we're going to scrape together and I'm going to help Melvin out. So somehow Mello, who doesn't have much himself, scraped together $134 and change and bought those Nike shoes. I would call that evidence of the reign of Jesus. That the reason people start to see others and their needs that was on a Christmas day 2,000 years ago, a king was ushered and born into the world in secret, but today he still reigns. And I want to challenge us this morning to know that Mello could have missed out. He could have said, well, that's not my problem. But Mello didn't miss out, so he didn't opt out of living under that reign. And for us today, if we miss out on who Jesus is, we end up opting out on the greatest opportunity of our lives. But if we opt in, then we get to join the kingdom of the heavens right here and right now. It was many days after Christmas, that first Christmas in Bethlehem, when Jesus was around two years old, and these group of guys showed up. There are these odd figures in the Bible, and they're there to worship a toddler. Can you imagine worshiping a toddler? Wow. They're called magi. And they're not on a journey knowing exactly where they go. They're just on a journey without a specific destination. They don't know exactly. A pin hasn't been dropped in Google Maps for them. They're heading that way. So they end up in Jerusalem and they're still looking where the king is going to be. So they go to Jerusalem probably just because where else are they going to get the answers? That's where the temples are or that's where the temple is. And then they get somehow in the audience of King Herod and they ask him this question. Where is the one born king of the Jews? I want to close with that thought before we commune. Because for every Christmas and for every day and the day after Christmas, our tradition should be just as those magi was and were, that wise men and wise women and wise teens and wise children, we still seek him. So start a new tradition if you need to today. A new tradition of seeking the Lord every moment. This morning we're going to do communion a little bit different. We've done this a few times before. But with that in mind and us seeking him, we come to the table to seek. We've got communion in three different stations. We've got it back there. Uh, back there by the Witcher family. (laughs) We've got one back here behind the Walsers, and then we've got it up here. And I'm going to pray for the bread, and you can get up when you're ready.
and grab bread and bra- go ahead and grab the cup and go back and just spend some time with your family, sharing in Jesus, sharing stories, sharing what you're thankful for, sharing how you see the king's reign over your family or in a family member. Share and encourage. I'll give you some moments to do that, and then I'm going to pray for the cup, and then we're going to have a closing song. But we want to just share as fam- in families. It's going to be a little chaotic, but hey, if we know anything about the Christmas story, it's out of chaos that a king reigns. And we're going to have some moment where it might be loud in here, but you're going to be able to turn to a family member and you're going to say, I'm so glad that we share not just in opening gifts, but in the broken body of Jesus Christ. And that gift you give by turning to a family this morning, family member or somebody in the row behind you and saying that is going to be much greater than probably anything we put under a tree today. Amen? Because it's the thing that unites us all. So let's pray together, and then at your time and when you'd like to, grab that, and then we will be dismissed uh, after some singing and a prayer um, in a moment. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the king who reigns, the king who loves, the king who has come for us, the king who is here, reigning still and reigning always. As we commune now and take bread, may we remember that this bread was broken for us and not just for me, but for all of us and for the whole world. So as we take it, Lord, may we rejoice, may we share in it, and may it move us in transformation towards being people who live under your rule and reign every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray.